Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this episode, since 1994, the Seattle Arts and Lectures Writers in the Schools program has reached over 100,000 Seattle-area public school students. WITS brings professional writers into classrooms to help student writers find their voices and hone their skills. Each year, the program reaches thousands of students in four school districts, Highline, Port Townsend, Seattle, and Shoreline, as well as at Seattle's Children's Hospital. The work they do, students and mentors, is palpable here. You will hear, at every turn, the wonder, respect, and possibility their process entailed. This culminating reading is nothing short of astounding. The 2017 Writers in the Schools year-end reading and celebration took place at the Seattle Public Library's Central Library on May 25th. Sonia Harris recorded the readings and the outpouring of heartfelt applause. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. How are you? Thanks for being here. My name is Alicia Craven, and I have the immense honor to serve as the director of the Writers in the Schools program with Seattle Arts and Lectures, or WITS as we call it. This is the second night of our two-year, end-of-year readings in celebration of all of you, the students and writers and teachers and families who have made up the WITS program this year. It's a very special night. Um, it's a tradition of the WITS program, which started in 1994, um, and we bring youth poets and fiction writers and essayists all together to share their work and be published in a chapbook as well. And to give you a sense of the scale of what you were part of this year, since its founding, WITS has taught over 100,000 students. And in the 2016-17 school year, WITS worked with 27 public schools throughout the Puget Sound region and Seattle Children's Hospital, bringing creative writers directly to over 5,900 K-12 students. Additionally, visiting Spotlight authors came to WIT schools to connect with another 1,500 students to further make the connections between the published authors of today and the most important voices of tomorrow. And I think there's a specific way in which art that you both consume and create at this time in your life takes hold and kind of imprints and stays with you for the rest of your life. So it's powerful to start to hear your story reflected back to you in new ways and have that recognition of shared experience, sometimes just through a resonant emotion or a mood. It kind of makes the world feel more connected and less lonely, and it makes you kind of perk up and think like, oh, me too. Um, and that takes craft and effort to articulate the specific in a way that feels really universal. So the writing you did in your classroom with WITS throughout the year and by coming here this evening, you're not only shaping the narrative of your own story, but you're also giving language to people for theirs, both your classmates in, in the class and the audience tonight. Um, your writers saw you had this gift, and that's why they asked you specifically to be here. So without further ado, the moment we've all been waiting for, it's time for the magic. And to kick things off this evening, I want to welcome writer Matt Gano and his writer um, Sequin Iris of the Center School. And Matt's second writer, Claudia Basile, could not be here this evening, but she's going to be sharing her poem through video. So we'll, we'll kick things off with that. Uh, so I'm going to introduce Claudia, and we're going to watch her read her poem. Um, Claudia Basile's work defines bravery and risk-taking. 
On the first day of class, I asked everyone why they were in our creative writing elective, and Claudia said something to the effect of, uh, I love writing, but I'm not sure what I'm doing. I'd like to be more confident as a writer and more confident in speaking my truth. The best gift to receive as a teaching artist is the desire of your students to take on the art and dig into the work. Claudia has excavated her truth, found her strength, and held it up to the light of her courage. Her poem, Big, is a powerful example of a young writer coming into their own. Please help me welcome and honor Claudia Basile. I've always hated going to the doctor's office. That cold smell that sings into your nostrils and claws at your tongue makes your mouth echo the taste of hand sanitizer and forgotten rubber gloves. I've never liked that whiteness, the way it burns your eyes and reminds you what you're there for, to know what's wrong with you. The scale has always told me what's wrong with me. Numbers speak louder than words. Numbers have always questioned why they can't pick me up, how heavy I am, and I always answer, I don't know, because I'm afraid that if I say it out loud, I'll hate myself. But I know that I don't need to say a word because they're already making their own guesses. When I was younger, everyone told me that I had great self-confidence and I always took it as a compliment. But when I got older, the pressure of my own strength pressed on my stomach and I just got bigger and bigger and sadder and sadder. And everyone still told me that I had great self-confidence and eventually I stopped taking it as a compliment. Because compliments set standards, and when you feel like you're failing, they start to sound like you're being praised for something you're not. One day in seventh grade, a boy told me that I could use more exercise. And when I went looking for that self-confidence, I'd found that I'd lost it in the layers of fat that covered my collarbones and spilled over my blue jeans. It was my biggest defeat, and I carried it in the fleshiness of my gut and the bruised purple of my stretch marks for a long time. I always used to measure the size of my stomach by how much of my feet I could see. Every time I looked down, I took another blow to my self-esteem. With every inch that I grew, I got a hold of a bigger bat and took a harder swing. And when it got to the point where I couldn't see my toes anymore, I didn't bother grabbing a weapon. I just wrapped my, my own hands around my throat and squeezed the rest of my worth out of me. I was the worst kind of masochist, the kind with their own sadist inside them. My Satan was number-shaped. Beating your own demons is hard. But when you feel their wire jaws around your neck, suffocating you with their stale smoke, you know that you have to pry their teeth away from your skin before they bleed you dry and leave you to rot in your own self-hatred. I have never worked harder to destroy that part of me. It is the biggest war that has ever raged in my mind. Sometimes my hands shake from uh, because I've fought so long. My legs ache from running to the battlefield every day. The ground is stained with blood. I don't know whose it is anymore. It's easy to become tired of fighting. But when I look in the mirror, with my heart beating stronger and my blood pumping faster, I am proud of what I see. The pain becomes worth it. I still hate the doctor's office. The smell still, still tears at my nose and, still, and the white still stabs into my eyes. But now when I look down at the scale, I can see my feet and I know how to step on the numbers and muffle their voices. Sequin Iris is a constant reminder of what student leadership and care can look like in the classroom. Beyond being a talented actor and born natural when it comes to writing, 
Her continuous output of support and positivity has been a crucial factor in the success of our classes, both first and second semester. Sequin is a poet at heart, even if she swears otherwise. I honor, I honor her tonight for her talent, but also for her kindness and for the lightness of her spirit and how it charges strength and confidence in those around her. Her instincts and wit are both sharp as they are lit. Her poem, 1000, shows not only her skills as a writer, but just how attuned she is to the human experience. Please help me welcome Sequin Iris. One thousand. Every funeral I've ever been to has played A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. Through baby pictures, Halloween costumes, friends, selfies, crying, smiling, laughing, hours before, days before, weeks, years, hardly centuries. All in their late teens and early twenties, everyone becomes a kid again when they die. I was raised on death. When I was little, I learned to let people hurt more than me, to listen to someone else's heartbeat and bury my own. I've held so many parents. I met Desiree sagging and drooping in her coffin. Nobody warned me how inappropriate I'd feel looking at someone's body once they've gone. Like sneaking a candid they'll never see, how naked you look in all of your clothes but none of your self-awareness. My house was a sanctuary for those left behind. My small kitchen floor was two parts tile and one part dad who was all parts hurting, screaming no into the ground as if it could reach Max's ears. But when it was quiet, it was still, as if the house was holding its breath. My teacher asked me why I was talking out so much in class. It was almost as if I was afraid I wouldn't get to finish my sentence. James's dad taught me how to balance an egg on salt and trick people. He liked magic tricks. And when his son got stabbed, he disappeared. I hugged him, and my arms slipped through. I didn't visit Pauline in the hospital. Instead, I went to San Francisco, and she died the first night I was there. At her memorial, we said all the things we loved about her, celebrated her life. I've learned that more people go to memorials than birthdays. Sometimes I see Micah's girlfriend on Third and Pike. On Facebook, she says she misses my family, but she doesn't recognize me when I walk past her, like she's partway stuck in the coma Micah escaped. Every day on my way to the 132 bus stop and every night on my way home, I walk past Selena's shrine in the alley between Cloverdale and Sullivan Street, where she got murdered, and leave a note for myself. I am 17. James was 18, Desiree was 19, Max was 21, Pauline was 23, Micah was 25, and Selena was 26. And I am 17. If you ask me, I could tell you how 17 years can feel like a thousand. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt, Claudia, and Sequin. Next, I would like to welcome Wits writer Aaron Counts and his writer Aidan Hammond of Nathan Hale High School. The 
this up. In their poem, Lovable, Aidan Hammond asks us, who hasn't got something to adore? Well, current presidents notwithstanding, I guess. Truth is, we can all use this reminder from time to time. Loving yourself and finding beauty in others is a bold act of heroism we can all take part in. I love this poem. Aiden's bravery in writing it and the way they always speak their truth in their poetry, in class, and in the world. It's heroic, as is the poem, and I hope you adore it as much as I do. Aiden Hammond. I used to pretend to have crushes on boys just because my friends did, but my friends just did it because their friends did. Turned out a whole lot of us were gay. Beauty is so easy to find in girls. Who hasn't got something to adore? Even crooked noses, messy hair, a personality that's never soft, nails to drag through skin. There's beauty in it all. My first crush was a best friend, sweet and creative, tall and straight. Love now is lopsided and smile, sharp at the hips and curved in the spine. Things pass through my mind so easily. Words come out so wrong. Bitterness drips from my eyes and words. Loving others comes without trying. I've learned to love my body. I still need to stop hating my mind. Thank you, Aaron and Aiden. Next, please welcome witch writer Alex Gayo Brown with his writer Gada Hassan of Nathan Hale High School. Hello, everybody. Uh, Gada and I were trying to figure out who's more nervous. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it's me. Um, uh, it's my great privilege tonight uh, to introduce Gada Hassan, a freshman at Nathan Hale High School, to the stage. I had the pleasure of working with her and her classmates for a two-week uh, intensive residency back in March and April, uh, during which we studied many different kinds of poems, including the elegy, which honors someone or something who's passed away. Uh, previously, Gada had been a diligent but quiet student, always writing furiously in her notebook whenever I gave a writing prompt. I was surprised then, when during the elegy assignment she became so emotional she had to leave the classroom. I was at first concerned about her well-being, but I also thought, wow, she must have come up with something good. She did indeed come up with something good, which you will hear first in Gada's native language of Arabic, and then in her second language of English. The poem is an elegy for her grandfather who died last year in Baghdad. I didn't know this until yesterday, but Gada and her family came to the United States from Iraq about six years ago, which was also the last time that she saw uh, her grandfather. Uh, the poet Robert Frost famously wrote, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. There were certainly tears for the writer in this case, and tears for this reader too. Uh, please welcome Gada. Hello, my name is Gada, and this poem is called Elegy to My Grandpa. But first, I'm going to read it in Arabic. Rita'a fi jaddi. كل صباح أذهب إلى حديقتك وأتناول الأفطار معك حتى وإن كنت قد أفطرت كنت قد أفطرت قبلك كل صباح تعد معي إلى المئة حتى يأتي باص المدرسة ليأخذني 
ظاهرة كل يوم ترجعني من المدرسة في قدر في مع قدرتي للعودة بالباص مع صديقتي ظاهرة كل يوم تأخذني إلى المحل القريب طالبا مني شراء ما أريد كل مرة أحصل فيها على درجة في الامتحان تهديني مالا وتخبرني كم أنت فخور بي كل مرة أحزن فيها تأخذني معك نزرع الورود مع رغبتك بعد بعد ما دخول أحد إلى حديقتك ألوم نفسي لعدم وفائي بوعدي لك وأشعر بالذنب لرحيلك قبل قدومي لزيارتك كل يوم أرى صورتك في خيالي وأتذكر كم كنت بي تبالي كل مساء كنت تضعني في فراشي بعد أن تنام بين يديك عيوني كل مساء كنت تقص علي حكايات قبل النوم ذكريات ليس بإمكاني أن أنساها آسفة أن لم أتصل بك في كل وقت آسفة أن كنت بعيدة عندما توفيت ولكن شيئا قدرت أن أفعل عندي أن كتبت قصيدة رثاء فيك يا جدي Now this is in English. <clears throat> Allegiance to my grandpa. Every morning I will go to your garden and eat breakfast with you, even though I already ate at home. Every morning sitting in your garden, you would come with me to a hundred until the school bus came to pick me up for school. Every afternoon you would walk with you would pick me up after school, even though I could ride the bus with my friend. Every afternoon, you would walk with me to a nearby store and tell me to buy any snack I want. Every time I get a high grade on a test, you would give me $5 and tell me how proud you are of me. Every time I felt upset, you would bring me to your flower garden and plant plants with you, even though it's the garden you don't usually like people going in. Every day, I blame myself for promising you I'll see you soon and feel guilt because you left me before I could see you again. Every day I would see your picture in my mind and think of the times you picked me up when I fell down and cried. Every night I would remember the times when you carried me home to my bedroom after I slept on your lap. Every night I remember the stories you used to tell me and keep safe that warm, unforgettable memory. So I'm sorry I didn't call you every day. I'm sorry I was away when you passed away. But Grandpa, there's something I could do. And so I wrote this poem to honor you. Thank you. Thank you, Alex and Gada. Next, we have witch writer Cody Farigo and his writer Rochelle Kawaka of Nathan Hale High School. Good evening. Rochelle Kawaka started writing during the eighth grade while waiting for an evening bus, using, using the stretched and ambling moments to compose short poems and vignettes. She continued writing more intensely in a ninth grade poetry unit and had her first major performance the following year at an MLK assembly. Rochelle's poems are thoughtful and grounded, steeped in a delightful play with sound and use surprising images that allow a message to meet us in multiple dimensions. Her work exudes the patience and curiosity one might want while traveling. 
Her favorite word is serenity. Please help me welcome Rochelle. Self-love. Ladies, don't let what other people say about your melanin bring you down. Oh, they out there saying that y'all are way too loud, or, saying, or trying to say that you can't rock your curls loud and proud. This is often what I say to encourage myself. I'm a kinky-haired, brown-skinned African-American woman. I'm made of brown sugar, cocoa, honey, yeah, I'm golden. I'm dipped in chocolate, bronze in elegance, and enameled with grace. Toasted in beauty, a bold statement in every step that I take. As I sway my hips, a unique melody plays because I know who I am. I'm not just another colored face. I am an African queen embracing my black beauty, and I refuse to have my self-esteem damaged. I'm a do-me. I will never let my identity be disrespected by someone who doesn't know my worth. Hopefully what I said has some value to you and you can put it to work. Thank you, Cody and Rochelle. Next, please welcome Corinne Manning and her writer, Simon Keon of Roosevelt High School. Last week, while we were practicing, I had Simon write down some final notes, and I told him, write down you are a being in a body. I emphasize that word being now, because in that moment my Jersey accent came out, and Simon wrote down, I am a being in a body. The magic of Simon's poetry is the way he plays with language, explodes, explodes metaphors, turns images into something new. When our language limits the complexity of our identities, when we have more nouns than verbs, what else are poets to do? As we listen today, I'd like all of you to know or remember that you are sacred beings and bodies. And though we can't see it right now or we won't be able to see it tonight, the moon is overhead. Simon is guide, has the moon guiding him. And let him hold it up to you now as he reads his poem modeled after the poet Anastasia Rene. Welcome, Simon. All you ever wanted was a Simon to hold. Why do you always have to be there for your little sister? Why did you get yourself into this? Don't you dare be transgender. Don't you dare get yourself hurt because you care. Don't you dare get your share of negativity. Don't you dare stand up. When you get yelled at, you sit there, frozen. It's okay, you're used to it. It's okay, they're bluffing. It's okay, you're gonna be all right. When your sister cries, you hold her and comfort her like it's the end. Why? The older you get, the closer you, you get to her. You understand everything. Now you know what you're good at. Your life, being a mystery. What's gonna happen now? No one knows, no one cares. It's just you. All you feel is dryness on your fingers. Dryness everywhere. You're adopted. You're a boy. You're a son, brother, and a person. At least you got sisters to look out for. Thank you, Corinne and Simon. 
Next, please welcome WITS writer Damon Arundel with his writers Tessa Elizabeth Hill, Devin Harris, and Maria Hernandez of South Lake High School, Jolani Wallen Craig of Broadview Thompson K 8 School. And Damon will be reading on behalf of his student Ella Smith and Denzel Hollyman. Good evening. Let's try that again. Good evening. Good evening. Oh, much better. Uh, all of my students are being introduced with uh, a theme of superheroes. Tessa is no nonsense and has no alter ego because she doesn't need one. She is her superpower and it is her. If I had to sign it a name, it would be Poker Face. Tessa would walk into class, sit down, then get into a staring contest with the writing prompt, giving it a head nod eventually, and then saying, okay, I got this. And then her head would go down until the poem was done. And this is the result of one of those sessions. All right, my poem is called My Future Husband. Here is what you need to know about my future husband. He'll understand me even when I don't understand myself. His personality will be a reflection of everything my father wished he could have been and everything my mother wanted. He'll represent me as an individual person capable of making decisions for myself. His smile will be a symbol of everything beautiful seen from children's eyes, like dancing fireflies or gazing at stars in the night. My future husband will find success in me, by any means necessary. He'll keep it clean and contemporary, as if classic wasn't what he had already envisioned. My future husband will be stricken by visions of wisdom more than riches. He'll refer to women as women instead of as witches. His tender, tender touch and taste for trust will overcome when others try to lust, for he is my future husband, and these qualities are a must. Thank you. Next up is Devin. Devin always reminded me of the supervillain in the comics and, and the movies. Not because he was a bad guy, but because they always, always get to monologuing and explaining about how brilliant they are and how foolproof their plans are. And they give away every single detail about how to foil their plan. The difference here is the context. Devin never came across as egotistical or full of himself just a young man who is unafraid to try and is willing to pick himself back up if he falters, one who talks the talk and then walks the walk even better than you thought he would. As I get older, life is getting more real. I'm learning more about people who are hurting or is mentally ill trying to substitute poison with the internal pain they feel, not even a little bit of hope that they might start to heal. For other people suffering, I want you to know that I've also suffered a great deal. I know you're feeling pain, and I know you're feeling dismantled, 
You feel you can't trust anyone because your heart was trampled. But I need you to tap into the strength needed to heal yourself. I'm afraid that if you don't fix this problem, you'll cure yourself. I'm informing you about this because I care about your health. You might not have the strength to care anymore at this point, but that's why I'm here to help. You can act like you don't care, but I know you want to be better. You just need more motivation, but that's why we're together. You're not in this alone, and it's not gonna be easy, but all we need is time. Please believe me. I'm trying to help you be great, so I, so I pray that you don't deceive me. I want you to ease your hate and reduce the problems on your plate so that your unconditional happiness can relieve me. Thank you. Next is Maria. Maria is really good at secrets. So if she has an alter ego, I don't know what it is because she won't tell me, which is exactly what superheroes are supposed to do. I just hope that she won't be stingy with her superpowers, this vision of clarity and grace that she continues to use her gifts for good, for her good and for ours, because much like the title of her poem, Water, we need it. Water, what my mom told me to stay away from, what she thought would be the only thing I would drown in. Water, what I now see as my escape, my peace and tranquility. My mother never warned me against the fears and doubts I could also drown in. The the self-talk, the self-hate talk, and the lack of of confidence would be things I would let myself drown in, but it would also be, it would, but it would also be up to me to keep swimming or let myself sink deeper. Next is Jelani. Jelani is like the young superhero in his origin story who just realizes he has powers and is kind of geeked out about it, but he's also geeked out about all kinds of other things, so he doesn't fully know how powerful he can be. Jelani was always full of energy and often had lots to say in class, sometimes on topic and sometimes not, but whenever I called on him, a perspective that the group had not considered yet was suddenly brought to life. His poem is an example of the unexpected brought to life by his superpower imagination. Floating out to sea. When I look at this picture, I see a red boat with the periscope on the end of the left. I see water, really white water. I see a knife, a yellow wooden knife. When I look at the pictures, I hear oceans, smooth oceans. I hear pitch black smoke in houses and clear waters. When I look at the pictures, I feel like I'm going away for a long, 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 long time. I feel warm like blood in my body. I feel hot. When I look at this picture, I am, I am a boat. I am captain. I am invincible.
finally, I'll be reading the work of two students. First is Denzel. Denzel is the Clark Kent that doesn't know he's Superman. Or maybe he's the Hulk that doesn't know about Bruce Banner. Denzel would occasionally get stuck in his thoughts, puzzling over specific details and whether he was allowed to go in a different direction. But once he received permission to just fly wherever his creativity led, his kryptonite faded away. The day this happened is when he wrote this poem. My name is Denzel. My green is dark. My green is special. My green is for grassy flowers covering the dirt like an ocean. My green is for the tracks and footsteps flattening the grass like a lawnmower. My green is dark. My green is for the tear gas and gas masks, for the aftershock of a nuke. My green is for the death by civil war and corruption. My green is dark. My green is for the silence and solution, where grass is still growing if the soil is still rich. My green is for the rise in any situation. Finally, Ella. Ella, unassuming, quiet, raised her hand once or twice, but she's like a living spark. All she needs is fuel to create her fire. And once the burn begins, she is a human firestorm on the page. Her ferocity flies without fear of the burn or the fall. And this is just a small taste of what she's got in her arsenal. First of all, it's being 14 and a survivor. It's fitting into a category and slipping from it at the same time. It's being smacked by a label, being hit so hard it rocks you, and still with all the force behind it, you break it. It's lying down at night, too afraid to roll on my side or shut my eyes. Inside, my darkness and scars run deeper than just what appears on the outside. It's being able to find the beauty through all the madness, the light at the end of the tunnel. It's being able to speak not only when I'm spoken to. It's finding my voice after being silenced for so long. Thank you. Thank you, Damon, Tessa, Devin, Maria, Denzel, Jolani, and Ella. Next, we have Wits writer Gary Lilly and his writers Katie J and Ingrid Schultz of Port Townsend High School. Both of these young writers are so driven. Images, ideas, and music. You know. I mean, it was just great to work at that, at Port Townsend High School with all the students there, but these students just really rocked. I think Katie Johnson is the, un, the indestructible girl. Our focus for the Port Townsend High School intensive was witnessing the what is it that you think affects you and the external world. And also adults uh, revisions, craft discussions, some killer videos, and we did a performance. 
She absorbed it. Wanted more. I watched her develop this love for writing, and I ask you to please help me welcome KDD to the microphone. Hi there, I'm gonna read you Bride Orange Vest. The quiet girl who works hard thinks I'm ugly. She thinks I'm too shiny and too orange, but I help her keep her job and life with my reflectiveness. I am with her when she bags groceries for blank faces, happy faces, drugged out faces, old faces, crippled faces, faces in pain, whiny faces, faces with plastered on smiles like they were made in a toy factory. I am with her when she pushes all those carts like a work mule so the annoying bosses don't give her commands over and over again. I've witnessed the girl coming up to the guardian of the time clock exhausted and asking for a lunch break when it was a minute away and having the guardian say, you need to catch up on carts. Sometimes during her lunch break, we go on adventures, like walking around the swamp where the ducks and homeless people are, eating some crappy Mickey D's when she feels like not spending a lot of money at the cautionary deli. We go through the hustling and bustling boatyard just to go to the beach, or we just chill in the bright, typical, depressing break room where she looks at her iPod to check social media, or she texts the lanky musician she calls her boyfriend. The break room from the outside looks like a tiny window facing the bus depot, but to her, it resembles a cell that stares into the abscess, looking for an adventure, freedom, and meaning in life. From the inside, the break room is just a place where people go to eat or relax from a busy, busy day at work. I help her make money along with my friend, the Black Apron, and that's one reason why she doesn't hate me. When she ain't there, I dangle on the hanger, waiting for another adventure for me, another day of work, another life away from my mundane life as a vest. As I hang here, I wait, hoping she comes again and think about my life as a work vest and how I came to be. Ingrid Schultz has been writing since, since she could write. <laughs> Poems, stories, everything. That was evident in my intensive at Port Townsend High School when it began. She works at it. She really does work at it. Her prose poem, Sands of Time, was in response to a prompt from my teaching partner there, uh, Chris Pearson. I'm going to tell you now, it's great to have uh, a faculty member that's also a writer working with you in a set like this. So I feel blessed with that. He is an English teacher at um, Port Townsend High School. His prompt was to, was to write something that puts you into Thoreau and what that was all about. What is your Thoreau? What does that mean? So I'm going to ask you again to uh, help me welcome these young writers. Welcome, Ingrid Schultz. My poem is called Sands of Time. Waves roll, 
crash, tumble, and slap against the rocks, leaving them shiny and wet. Then the ocean becomes a rich foam when it finally thins and reaches the fine gray sand. The whoosh of the water brings up a mist of salt spray that temporarily closes my eyes, and I feel the cool mist touch my face while a breath of wind pushes back my hair. A calm washes over me, as if the ocean water has defied gravity and blanketed my whole body, and my lips then turn upward in an ear-to-ear -ear grin, exposing my teeth while I simultaneously take a deep breath of air. The sun is setting over the water. The tangerine oranges and raspberry reds splash over the top of the liquid surface, like a pitcher of juice falling off the table during breakfast and then seeing the sugary spill seep and spread over the floor. I watch it with amazement and begin to realize that the impending darkness of night is starting to swallow the sky. I look up and down the beach and see that the sandy shore has no end or beginning. I don't mind. The long stretch of beach ignores the rules of time and space. No one can ever grow old here. No one can ever get sad. The grains of sand are filled with memories and imprinted with the pounding of footsteps. Then my ears wander to the sound of laughs and giggles from coming up the beach. My family is at the bottom of a bluff sitting on a behemoth-sized piece of driftwood. At this instance, they don't seem to notice me, and that is okay. I breathe in and out, as if I'll never smell the ocean again. I try to get every last bit of the air and always keep it in my memory. The smell of salt, sand, and love. I never want to forget this. Time has stopped. Everything is still. Even my thoughts. I'm at peace. The world has begun to drip together into a beautiful painting. My Walden is here, where time stops. Thank you, Gary, Katie, and Ingrid. Next, please welcome witch writer Imani Sims and her writers Haley Krauss of Renaissance School of Art and Reasoning, Keanu Lino of Broadview Thompson K-8 School, Tatum Hadley of Catherine Blaine K-8 School, and Jemiah Barker and Wynne Vo of Cascade Middle School who will be doing a group poem. Known for laboring over poetic beauty and inspiring lines, Haley demonstrates vulnerability as she takes on the layered existence of womanhood. She raises the bar for writers as she lays raw emotion on the page. Please put your hands together for Haley Krauss. Hello. Um, so my poem's called Blue. Okay. Her favorite shade of nail polish is a light blue color called Behind Her Smile. You can slap on some makeup and call yourself beautiful. You can binge and purge and starve yourself and call yourself thin. You can cry yourself to sleep every night and wake up the next morning and say you're fine. You can have one million fake friends online and have zero friends in real life and call yourself popular. 
But when you take off the makeup, when you eat something and stay full, when you are done with the pain, when you disable your Instagram account, what are you now? Just a light blue nail polish called Behind Her Smile. <laughs> oh my God, my students, I love them so much. <laughs> Up next, a quiet and opinionated writer, Kiana takes on the complexity of our current social climate with an epistle poem to national leadership. Rife with open-hearted honesty, the student tugs at the heartstrings of humanity. Please put your hands together for Kiana Lino. Dear America, one nation under God, it's funny to think of ourselves as one nation. One nation under God, yet we still stand divided. Hungry poor Democrats, wealthy Republicans, men and women working the same job but women get paid less, black men being shot down on the streets, crooked white police officers. One nation under God, we should stand together, yet we don't. The smell of red blood filling our nostrils, the sight of it pouring out of bodies, the sound of gunfire raging on, this is what tears us apart. Sticks and stones break our bones, but we will still stand united. How can we stand united yet, but people still feel they need to ask, does my life matter less than his? One nation under God. How can we say we are one nation when our up and coming president is a man who makes himself richer and the poor poorer? One nation under God. Let's make this pledge mean something because, of, because as of right now, I don't feel like we are one nation. Sincerely, Kiana Lina. Transporting us to another world, Tatum uses poetry as a vehicle discuss to discuss the fantastic. In this post-apocalyptic piece, we meet a hybrid character who tells the tale of a gruesome feature. Future, please put your hands together for Tatum. The darkness devoured every light, space light could not get to. Crackles of fire filled the air with unforgiveness. Ash strangled his snake-like body, suffocating his lungs with each breath, like taps of a fragile gem. He slithered up an aged brick arc, blood dripping from a deep gash underneath his left eye. The blood dripped like tears of disdain. Gas shortened his existing breath by ongoing breath. No shadow, no stars, no waves in the Red Sea. Only black tar hardened on backs of others, each other's. Sharp whistles like a shard of glass. Then a small hint, the last survivor, walking up to him with a bucket of black tar, boiling hot, eating up the last of the last. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it is my absolute delight uh, to present these two writers. As my eighth graders endeavored to collaborate and craft group poems, two of my students raised a hand and said, can we write a poem comparing zodiac signs? I secretly squealed on the inside and replied with an emphatic, yes! 
Jemaya and Nguyen have created a poignant and hilarious comparison, comparison poem about the Zodiac. Please put your hands together for Jemaya Nguyen. This is how Zodiac matches foods. Bouncing like jello is the Aries. As expensive as caviar is Taurus. Double-sided like a double popsicle is a Gemini. Uplifting like sparkle water is a Cancer. Easily angry like chili as hot is a Leo. Harmless like salad is an innocent Virgo. There are many stems of grape like friends of Libra. Strong like watermelon is a Scorpio. Karma apple is sweet like second kind. Determined like coffee is a Capricorn. Cold outside but sweet inside like ice cream is a Aquarius. Nice but easily broken like an egg is a Pisces. Creative signs are Aquarius, Cancer, Gemini, and Virgo. Freedom loving signs are Aries, Libra, Pisces, and Sagittarius. Emotionally strong signs are Capricorn, Leo, Scorpio, and Taurus. This is how Zodiac matches food. Thank you, Imani, Haley, Kiana, Tatum, Jemaya, and Wynn. Next, we have Wits writer Laura Gamash with her writers Elijah Kaplan and Bela Cohen Knott of Topps K-8 School. Also from Topps K-8 School is writer Laura Hanks, who Laura, who Laura will be introducing on behalf of Wits writer Michael Overa. All right. Elijah Kaplan. First of all, I have to tell you that he was telling me about base 12 a lot before we started, and my head is really quite busy. His current favorite word is philosophy, a nice long word, he says, with a depth of meaning. Elijah throws active verbs into his lines with the verve of a chef tossing seasonings into a pot. In the camp, a sparrow emits a piercing chirp. Trees quiver and rustle. Dirt grates, and the tired narrator shambles. It ends. The log I sit on is strangely lumpy and misshapen. The air mattress has a similar quality. I love the offhanded wit of that last line. He said he doesn't usually use humor, that the line presented itself when he didn't know how to end. He's a writer. <laughs> Please welcome Elijah. The camp. The taste of moist pine fills my mouth. The cold, crisp air is magical. It smells like burnt marshmallows, slightly unpleasant, yet strangely comforting. A sparrow emits a piercing chirp echoing throughout the woods. Chilling winds come by as the trees quiver and rustle. The crickets begin their symphony as the fire crackles. The night sky is a vault full of stars, and tonight it has been fully unlocked. The slow-growing moss is clinging tenaciously to almost every tree in sight. Our campfire is roaring excitedly as bundles of twigs fall in. Mist is rising from the ground and the air becomes wet. The rough, coarse dirt grates against my weary feet as I shamble towards the tent. The log I sit on is strangely lumpy and misshapen. The air mattress has a similar quality. 
Bela Cohen Knott is currently reading Pride and Prejudice. She keeps the hardback seven-book Jane Austen boxed set with gold-edged pages in her school locker. Her advice to budding writers is, if you have an idea, don't worry if other people won't get it. Just write. Her Just Mercy poem started with lists of words made from two other poems. She liked figuring out how I'm going to use mounds in there. Funny, she says, since my dad plays music with a group called Mounds. All Must is composed of six precisely honed couplets. Here's Bela to give it to you. All must. Love binds us together, the rope cinching at every struggle. Everyone works as one to free ourselves, but to no avail, because of our wisdom, we stay together. We are learning the music of fear on the leaves of the book I am reading this from. And now I will channel Michael Overa to introduce Lola Hengst, who I got to work with when she was a sixth grader last year. Lola recently, and somewhat reluctantly, confessed to me, Michael, that she started writing this story while I was in the middle of instruction. As many of the writers here can attest, that's far from a bad thing. This story clearly shows not only her enthusiasm for her writing, but also an ability to be at once insightful and humorous. Lola's story, New Kid Problems, is clear proof that, again, like many good writers, she has mined details from her own experience. Welcome, Lola. Allison took a quick peck to her mother's cheek before slinging her backpack over her shoulder and rushing to the office. The cold weather nipping at her cheeks turning them a bright pink. Every time her feet hit the ground, she heard a thud. She started, she started sprinting towards the office, seeing Miss Jones at her desk. Seem, uh, her hair seemed grayer and her eyes seemed darker, probably because she has to deal with us kids again, Allison thought to herself. Miss Jones looked up from her computer, eyeing the girl. Allison, she started with a sigh. First day of senior year and you're late. What's your excuse, she asked, taking out a pink notepad. How are you sure I have an excuse, Allison asked in curiosity. Miss Jones looked up from her notepad give it, to give it look only a teacher could give. I missed my bus, she said. She had lost this battle. Miss Jones gave a disapproving grunt before asking, what's your first class? Economics within stock, she read off her paper. Miss Jones ripped off the pink sheet and handed it to Allison, who gave a small thank you and smile. She traveled the mustard yellow halls, her hands grazing the lockers. She took her phone out to let her mother know that she had gone to her late slip and was heading to class before colliding with another person and knocking her down. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I was looking at my paper and wasn't watching where I was going, Allison heard. A deep voice, a deep voice, possibly male, Allison thought before sitting up, trying to comprehend that not only had she been late to, late to her first day of school, but also that she was going to be even more late for class because of this person. Her eyes met the body of a voice, a boy with honey brown eyes and moles scattering his face. 
He must have gone somewhere warm for the summer because his skin was tan. The boy cleared his throat, a slight blush, a blush, a slight blush on his cheeks as Allison snapped back into reality. Thank you, Laura, Elijah, Bela, and Lola, and Michael in absentia. Next, please welcome Wits writer Rachel Kessler and her writer Monet Davis of Washington Middle School. When I asked Mr. Reitz's sixth graders at Washington Middle School to go inside of an object and write from its point of view, Monet Davis literally exploded out of her seat. Her vision was so big and powerful. She seemed to hover in the air just above her desk while words poured from her pen and she bounced up and down vibrating as she transformed herself into an old abandoned ship. She describes her writing process as really fast. <laughs> These visions just fly out of my mind. Monet identifies with the Arctic fox, who looks like a cute tiny dog, but is in fact strong and wild, feisty and ever-changing, camouflaging its fur to hide in the different landscapes. She'd love to be able to read minds, and Wonder Woman is her favorite superhero, because she is independent, yet sacrifices herself for those she cares for. Please join me in welcoming this rising young writer, who, in her own words, is unique, confident and bold, Monet Davis. Bright orange sun, green tree grows inside me. The shipwreck, that's what I'm known as. With the crashing blue, sparkling ocean behind me, animals live inside me. They live in peace. I stand tall, trying not to fall apart and break into pieces. South of me, the clay wall breaks down and turns the water orange and floats away. Thank you, Rachel and Monet. And next, um, this is an addition from your program, but another exciting part of the WITS program is the Youth Poet Laureate program. And um, this was founded two years ago um, in collaboration with WITS by Aaron Counts and Matt Gano. And this year, uh, Angel Gardner, um, who is a Youth Poet Laureate, is here. And literally, her books just arrived from New York today. Um, and Blood Melody. And then they're going, she's going to be reading at Folk Life this Saturday at 2 o'clock, um, along with the other Youth Poet Laureate finalists. And you'll get to learn who the next Youth Poet Laureate is going to be there. So um, she's going to read um, an example from this book. But first, I want to invite uh, Matt and Aaron up on stage to introduce her. Just kidding, just kidding. I didn't even see you come in. I didn't either. Sneaky, sneaky. Uh, mentoring the youth poor lord is like one of those supreme uh, privileges of this gig, I think. Um, we met Angel a little over a year ago through five poems that she submitted. And now look, a year later, look at this beautiful book. Um, 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, it's, <laughs> we didn't plan any of this. Uh, <laughs> it's been a, it's been an amazing um, time watching Angel grow um, from sort of this person with this raw extreme ability to sort of capture her uh, truth and the world around her um, in, and then mold that and like the, sh the way that these poems have taken shape in the book. Um, her ability as a writer is astounding. Um, also her ability as a learner and someone uh, taking some of this feedback that Aaron and I were providing and, uh, and synthesizing that into the poems um, was also extremely, extremely impressive. So we're just so proud of you and um, you know, really excited for y'all to see the work that's in this book. Uh, we'll be at Folklife on Saturday for the Youth Poet Laureate Showcase, um, and Angel will be uh, featured there with her book, and will also be the naming the next Youth Poet Laureate of Seattle on Saturday. Mystery until Saturday. Yeah, it's a mystery till Saturday. Yeah. Don't say nothing. You know who it is. All right. Um, please help us welcome Angel Gardner, reading from her new book, Blood Melody. So, um, like I think everyone said, this was not planned, so I have no idea what I'm going to read yet. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to just awkwardly flip through here, so bear with me. Um, mm, mm, mm. I was just thinking that. Who said it? Of course you said it. Um, okay, so I'm going to read Blood Melody. <clears throat> here we go. We live in a world where the authority shoots patterns into unarmed citizens. And those with enough privilege ignore the blood pooling in their gutters as if it's not happening right in front of them. I'm not sorry that you feel comfortable existing without the news of what disturbs you, while some of us are forced to live with it, live with crisp folds and blue uniforms profiling our melanin, trying to connect imaginary holes in speech-leaking innocence, shoving bullets into bellies and elbows into faces, I've never been able to wrap my head around how any lips can lift to the blood melody of lead shattering ribs of the helpless. It's not the truth behind my words, not the force of, oh, sorry, it's the truth behind my words, not the force of them that makes feet sweat and the backs of necks glisten. Averted eyes pray I choose to change the subject, but sparing feelings has proven to be quite heavy lately, and I haven't mustered any fucks to lift it. We have let the illiterate get too comfortable warming their hands next to their ignorance, sipping hot mugs of their own bitter bullshit. Thank you. Thank you, Matt and Aaron and Angel. That's gonna be two o'clock at the Cornish Playhouse uh, on Saturday. Yeah, you speaks right before and then rings, rings I slam right after. Yeah, make an afternoon of it. Um, all right. Um, so next up, I would like to welcome Wits writer Danny Sherrard with his writers Alex Newsom and Theo Hadley of Nathan Hale High School. High school can be an intimidating place when you're teaching poetry there. <laughs> before 11 a.m. And most of the freshmen you're teaching are taller than you. Alex, however, had this way of making me feel at home right off the bat. One of Alex's great gifts is turning potential energy into kinetic energy. 
when a class dialogue on metaphor seemed to be drawing to a somewhat anticlimactic close, Alex's hand would shoot up and then kick the conversation into a whole new gear by synthesizing everything that had already been said into a brand new, thrilling point, and the entire room would paradigm shift together. I saw Alex get after people for being cynical and for not trying more than once. And not only for this reason do I think Alex will be a future poet laureate of at least Seattle, but also, I hope, a future teacher of our youth. Alex is a warrior of the imagination. Watch now how each of the words in Alex's poem, Wheels, draws the bowstring back further, gathering potential energy until the line ends and the arrow is released, shooting into the next brilliant cosmos and warring us joyously along. This is called Wheels. The wheels of your soul spin, as does the earth, with those mighty green and blue hues, those hues that control the circle of life, which spin as well. The waters that float to the ground, the waters that fall to the sky, a world of no sense, contradictions, the turning of space, the cosmos, with those brightly lit far off sun relatives. You spin, I spin, our stardust can spin. They're with us in our journey through time. We're rebels, not linear. No line is going to look at us and think same. Lines are lonely creatures, uninteresting. No, everything says that we should be linear, but we don't sit still like an ignored book on a messy desk in a messy room. It's pages untouched by hands. It's pages untouched by eyes. No, our movement is like a dancing fire waving goodbye to the flyaway sparks that kiss the wind, the fire. She sways with the wind, telling a story with the light she brings into the world, into the sky. Our wheels spin, forever leaving dust behind, as we inch closer and closer, traveling at the speed of light, but never reaching our infinite destination. Even as our wheels begin to wear from the uneven, unpredictable ground below, we can't stop spinning. No, the wonders of this world are far too beautiful to miss out on. Our wheels spin, with wings on their backs, carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, the future in their eyes, in your eyes. In our eyes, those wheels spin. They spin with the boom of thunder. They spin with the crash of lightning. Our wheels are ocean waves roaring, recalling the mysteries beneath. Our wheels spin. They tremble as they near the sunset, a star ocean with brilliant reds that preach passion, oranges that whisper glory, pinks that sing grace, and soft light purples that don't speak at all. Our wheels spin into this ocean, embraced by the warmth of color. Our wheels spin as they do, forever. Even time can't withstand our tracks left on Earth's crust, teaching our ways of everlasting. Our wheels, greeted by the night star-freckled sky, magic explained only in poetry. Her face is only describable by the words unspeakable. The language with the words our tongues can't touch, for her beauty isn't comprehensible. Our wheels spin round, around, around the moon and around again, to see our globe, to kiss her farewell, and to hope we see her again. Those wheels spin. Theo Hadley. <laughs> 
After Theo asked if I would like to read a poem she'd written during a free write about the apocalypse, I needed to sit down. I read the poem's first stanza to myself probably four times. I somehow finished reading the whole thing through minutes later, and after picking up all the parts of me that had fallen on the floor while reading it, I asked Theo if I could take a photo of her poem. I guess, she said, looking up from a giant book. I told her it was so I could show my director the brilliance therein. This was kind of a lie. I also showed the poem to my mom, <laughs> who is a total rock star and who loved it. It is humbling to meet someone half your age who writes better than you do. It is an honor to get to now say that I've introduced Theo Hadley to an audience once in my life. Theo's writing is such a big deal, the world really is her oyster. Now watch her crack it open and show you the stuff of which worlds, pearls, and perhaps also time are made. Yes, the months will pass. You'll keep going back to the lake, letting your feet bend with your eyes closed, trying to feel the rocks again, because we both know you want so badly for this to be a matter of rehabilitation. You'll keep wandering through bodies of water, because if you stopped, it would be too nostalgic for a Wednesday. But you don't even remember the days of the week anymore, do you? because whatever day it is, it will be too far gone. You've stopped letting your hands gloss over the days, you've stopped counting, and you've let red markers become inadequate. You will be fully aware of yourself as you become lost on the world. You'll remain fixated on people's hands as you forget how to warm yourself up again. The edges of your pants will be wet all the time, your mother's hands will start shaking. The neighbors will start standing in their doorways. You won't be riled by this. You will stop wearing the combat boots, the heavy ones your grandmother wore. You'll start sleeping in your brother's bed at night, consoling your body and soul, telling yourself you will console your sanity tomorrow. You'll watch your mother as she sits on the rug and stares at a rocking chair you don't associate with childhood as you open and close all the doors and cabinets in the house. When you've considered that no one ever blatantly told you that you have been tying your shoelaces ineffectively since second grade, you will pull out the book of maps that you can't read effectively you will go through the montage again, but this time lying on your back. Thank you, Danny, Alex, and Theo. And I just want to add that their residency was so fresh, like 
ended like a week ago, that um, uh, Alex and Theo's poems are included as an insert in the chapbook. Um, and so last, but certainly not least, please welcome writer Nikita Oliver and her writers Alexandra Evans, Washington Middle School, as well as Nia Tom Thomas and Zusang Zan of Franklin High School. Well, I feel a little nervous after all those writer intros, especially after Danny Sherrard just like Grand Slam championed us. Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about, that's fine. Um, teaching youth to write is the greatest privilege that I have because every class I am inspired and reminded what it means to have that flash of inspiration when you can't help but put your pen to paper. When I interviewed with writers in the schools, I told them to put me anywhere but middle schoolers. And as the universe would have it, I teach sixth and eighth graders at Washington Middle School. And they're not taller than me yet. And what I found is I am the most popular middle schooler in 2017, even if in 1990-something I wasn't. I think that's when I was in middle school. Alexandria Evans is an incredible writer. She keeps to herself, keeps her head down and her eyes deep in the paper. I remember the day when she raised her hand to share her poem in front of the class for the first time. She made her way shyly to the front of the room, refused to lift her eyes above the paper, but as we convinced her to bring the paper low enough for us to see her face, she began to speak. Her teacher, Ms. Lau, and I were not simply impressed, but we were brought to tears. And when she finished, we swallowed a fistful from that gut punch she had just given us. If you all would give a very warm welcome to Alexandria Evans, also known as Alice. Name of, the name of my poem is called Shout Out. Shout out to my aunt for breaking down the walls of medications. Pills and potions filled her systems, but she's free. She is overcome. Free from the locked up days and weekends she had to take out of her life just to say, how can you cure me? Free from the waiting rooms, checkups, pressuring doctors, telling her, we can cure you while turning their backs, looking at each other and whispering, what can we do? Waking up, finding the hair that she's kept healthy, laying lifeless on her pillow. Her nails changing color as she's going through the motions, trying to find her way to fight this off at home. Explaining to the family this groundbreaking news as they sit on the couch in the sofas in blues, asking God, why, why did this have to happen to you? And as we all need a little balance, I also get the immense pleasure of teaching at Franklin High School, uh, spending time with these incredible 11th graders every Thursday. And we're actually not done with our residency yet either, so these young folks are really pushing their, their way ahead, despite the fact that we have one more, one more class left. Um, 
Franklin High School is like going home to family. I taught freshmen there, so walking through the, the hallways, it's always, hi, Miss Nikita. Are you in our class today, Miss Nikita? And I make my way into Miss Geffner's class, and there is always this flexible chaos going, the kind that only 11th graders can bring. And Ms. Geffner allows us to have these incredible, fluid conversations where we get to talk about very tough issues, everything from what is the latest drama in the school, and I'm telling you, Twitter has a lot of drama, all the way to the most important social issues that we're facing in our society today. Nia, Naya, my students know I'm a mess. Wits knows I'm a mess. Uh, sits quietly in class, though I've been told she does not sit quietly at any other time during the day. Writing and writing and writing, and I open her folder and there is a breathtaking cascade of honesty. She is an incredible, truthful writer who shares what she knows unapologetically and has no problem clapping back at her classmates when it requires. My poem's called, can you guys hear me? Yeah. All right. My poem's called, I Know Now. I know now, nah, I know now. As a matter of fact, scratch that, I've been new. I've been new that she had a sensitive side. I know that her insides are soft like marshmallows. You bite down on them and they melt so lovely on your tongue. She, rem she remembers watching touchy-feely movies and trying to hold in her tears, trying to hide the fact that yes, she does have feelings and yes, she is just like the other eight billion people on this earth. She, knows, she now knows that there is no reason for her to hide behind this invisible shield or wall she's had up. Now she can let go, now she is free. So there's always one student who knows how to write exactly what every student in your class really wants to say Zushin is the sort of writer that is willing to be vulnerable in a way that I rarely see 11th grade young men be willing to do in front of their classmates. He exemplifies courage and is always willing to share. He knows how to talk about matters of the heart and really knows how to open us all up to the matters of truly tender hearts and help us be willing to share our whole selves. Give it up for Zushin. Last words. Since the day you started a new chapter within me, a rainbow will always appear in the sky. Because whenever I looked up, I saw you in the reflection. It will rain darkness, but the sun always bloomed brighter. But when it was the next chapter, I realized it will only rain darkness. I realized the next chapter was without you. I lost you. I lost my smile. I lost my happiness. I lost my everything. The chapter with me and you was burned. Everything was burned. Every day I'll be living in darkness within my ribcage, trying to find my heart, the other half of me. Lost within myself, shattered by your game, broken by your hand, bleeding the hate within me because the love for you is still chained inside of me. Still so dark. So trying to cry a new view, I just don't know what to do. I don't want to believe it was a game, I just want you back. I can't stop the bleeding of the pain, I just want to know the truth. I thought you would be a game, I just want to hold you. Instead you became my reign, I just don't want to see you. I just don't know anymore. Sometimes, I just want the truth. I never understood why you left me. I don't even know if I did anything wrong. 
left with these memories, you got my head bleeding, heart aching, and whenever I look back, I can never hate you for stabbing me. I can only love you, tell you I needed you, and always want you, knowing you never come back to me. I've been told to move on, but how is that possible when I'm still in the year of 2016, the day you told me you wanted to take memory photos, but then you disappear without leaving me unseen like you always do? Now, when I do look back, I can only thank you for all the things you've taught me. I hope you're happy now and you're doing well because I'm still bleeding, so waiting for you to come back. These are my last words for the one I hope I can stop loving, but I don't think I'll forget you because I really loved you and you just left me. Thank you, though, for this is my formal goodbye I never got to inform you. These are my last words I never got to say to you. Thank you, Nikita, Alexandria. Naya and Zushan. Man, can we just give it up real quick for all the young writers again one time? Yeah. My heart is full. And whenever there's, you know, bad or overwhelming things in the ether, like I think I'm gonna think back to today and just be like, yeah, we're gonna be okay. We have some, there's good reason for hope. Thanks for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. The 2017 Writers in the Schools year-end reading and celebration took place at the Seattle Public Library's Central Library on May 25th. Thank you again to Sonia Harris for our recording. Tune in again soon. 